Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each month. Each episode of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me is Dan, Holly, and Dr. Selback. Guys, welcome. Say hello. 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 Thanks for having us. Hello there. So we're talking about a not-so-fun topic today, um, but something we all have experience with, and uh, it's violence in healthcare and EMS. And so want to kind of have a roundtable discussion about our experiences, um, both as healthcare workers and EMS providers, and want to also acknowledge the fact that this is a tougher conversation to have because we kind of, as we've talked about before we started recording this, we all have a history with it on some level, um, which we'll share some of our own personal stories. But um, it's also really difficult to talk about because most of the issues we deal with are caused by people who are also going through some pretty horrible stuff, um, addictions, mental health disorders, um, all sorts of things. And so trying to hit this from all sides, we want to do, we want to talk about obviously, you know, the violence against healthcare staff that we've experienced and um, heard of with our coworkers. Um, we've got some self-harm stuff to discuss. And then also looking at it kind of sort of from the patient side um, a little bit with what, you know, they're going through that makes them aggressive and exert uh, aggressive behavior. So um, I was thinking, Dan, why don't we have you share your story? Because yours is from quite a while ago. But uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> when were you born? When were you born? Yeah. yeah I was yeah. born in 1985. Oh, my gosh. So this was prior to that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Since Dan is in retirement, we're going to be using him as our uh, liaison for the history of healthcare and EMS <laughs> moving forward. Back to the old, yeah. the old horse-covered uh, yes. yeah. wagon out there with a big yes. cross on it. Yes. All right. So uh, back in the early '90s, I worked at a private ambulance company. We covered an area of the town that wasn't the best part of town, and there's a lot of drug use, a lot of violence. We were dispatched on a, a low-level call, something like a sick person or dizziness or something like that. So we get there first. House is dark. I should have, you know, I was new, so I really didn't think anything of it, but I should have thought something about it at that time. We walk in, and uh, there's all these gentlemen around, and they're, they're doing drug stuff, and we're being directed to the back room while they're, being, they're yelling at us. And once again, I should have just backed out, but we, we were suckered back in this back room, we go back past this bathroom where they put the patient who had overdosed on heroin. And back in the day, they would they'd throw him in the bathtub and put ice on him. And that's their, that was their treatment. That was their, their Narcan of the time. Trying to well, he was, it didn't up. work. He was, yeah. yeah. He was still unconscious. So we're in this back room, and uh, these two guys were in there. And they started asking us why we were there, getting pretty heated. And we didn't have the radios at that time where we could push a button and, you know, the world would come. And so... I don't know. I said, okay, maybe we should just leave. And the guy just lunges towards me and hits me. And I'm not the biggest guy and I'm not the manliest man. And okay, I was in a fetal position on the ground as he was beating me up and putting me in a headlock and <laughs> got a kick in my ass. And, uh, and time passes and finally the police get there and uh, they break it up. The guy ended up dying in the bathroom. Um, I had a bloody lip. 
few what was your partner doing at this yeah, point? What? Were they like running out to the radio? No, they, or they, just... were get, they were getting, they, I don't know how bad they got. They didn't get as bad as I did, but they still got beat up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how it went for me. I learned. Hmm. That was just, that was my first year of EMS. And so I thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be amazing. I mean, we're, we're laughing, <gasps> but at the same time, man, that's horrible. Uh, oh, yeah, what, it was horrible. What, what kind of response did your department have to that? Like, oh, nothing. To, I mean, it wasn't even reported. Yeah, we we didn't say anything about it because we don't do that. And that's part of what you we know, want to so, discuss today is like, unfortunately, our industry has really normalized. Unless, yeah. unless someone is critically wounded, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of expected that occasionally you're going to get scrappy. Occasionally, you're gonna get you're you're often you're gonna get verbally assaulted, mm-hmm. and especially female staff sexually assaulted. Like mm-hmm. the amount yeah. of sexual harassment is is absurd. Um, and some of the stories that Holly was saying, and some of the other nurse friends that I have that have, have shared stuff with me, it's like they did what when they were in their hospital bed? Like all this, all these things that just never occurred to you because we're you know in EMS we don't really think about the in hospital stuff, and it's. It's so messed up, but um, we'll there's get, like an we'll underlying acceptance for violence yeah. mm-hmm. in our profession. Yeah, just part of the job. <clears throat> the threshold is so high mm-hmm. to, for it to actually be an issue. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. that's what always astonishes me. Yeah, it's just our all not all of us in pre-health EMS mm-hmm. and specific. I think particularly like in EMS and in the emergency department, right? People's right. tolerance for abuse. Right. Is fairly unacceptable, honestly. But it's just kind of how it is. Just kind of how it is. Yeah. And it, I think it feels like it comes from this place of someone needs help. And so you're trying to help them in their time of need. Mm-hmm. And you just accept the fact that they're being abusive because they're sick. They need help. Mm-hmm. And so we just keep <laughs> keep trying to help. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like trauma begets trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for all, for all of us too, like yeah. it's a very traumatic job that a lot, and I think it's good that we're having this podcast and talking about it because mm-hmm. there aren't true. I mean, there are a little bit more now probably, but there aren't like a lot of outlets for people in EMS or in the ER and places like that to be like, Hey, this is actually causing me some PTSD and some mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I can't help but see the, the mental health side of that. Like, how do you go to work and not feel safe, especially when someone has had something significant happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, Doc, you were saying something about going to work, and it's on your brain. Oh, yeah. every sh- You know, I have a family and kids and a wife, and every time I go to work, I think about, hmm, I wonder if something crazy is going to happen or somebody's yeah. going to – I was telling these guys earlier – uh, Dan, I don't know if you're on the line, but <clears throat> I used to wear, you know, a lot of people wear dance goes, a lot of people wear Birkenstocks, like super comfortable mm-hmm. shoes that are like good for your feet, good for your back. And I had a, you know, nothing crazy, but an incident where a patient, you know, kind of lunged at me and I had to quickly like get out of a room and I was wearing a <laughs> pair of Birkenstocks <laughs> that I'd had literally for like three years that were basically like walking on ice and it, it <laughs> caught my attention. I was like, oh, my God. It was, like, almost got in the way of me getting safely out of this room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from that time on, I only wear tennis shoes now. I only wear shoes that, like, I know I can move quickly in. Yeah. Which is sort of sad that 
that yeah. it's come it to that, right? Like I choose my shoes knowing that I might be in a dangerous situation at work. Right. Right. Which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It is. I always had, um, like depending on what section of the ER I worked in, I always had an exit plan, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. And now that we're sitting here talking about this, I'm realizing that that probably wasn't normal. Yeah. But I always had like, which door would I go out of yeah. when someone comes through the front door? Because someone will. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. And um, that's kind of a weird thing to, to think about when you go to work. I bet, you know, our kids probably think about it when they go to school. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's so. true. Yeah. And it, I think it carries beyond like, I think about, I find myself thinking about things like that. I was sitting at my kid's basketball game the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looking around for exits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's like so ingrained yes. in you because you're working in this traumatic environment. Yeah. And I think not, a lot of us don't realize how much that impacts. Like, it's kind of sad that I'm like, I'm in a second grade basketball game. <laughs> and because mm-hmm. I'm so used to at work exactly what you're saying, like knowing where my exit is, knowing where like a safe place to get is, it's like that's sort of in the back of your head right. always a little bit. Yeah. You know? Um, and we don't come from a, a um, professional, like police, for instance. Mm-hmm. They're trained to be heightened in those situations. They're trained to be looking for things. Um, they're trained to go into dangerous situations. They have their own sets of trauma. Sure. Um, but we were never trained <clears throat> to do that. We were trained to help people and to be in this sort of emotionally compassionate space at work. Yeah. Um, so it's this weird dichotomy of protection and vulnerability so we've got some stats that are super fun to read um and i'm being sarcastic um so according to data from press ganey which is a healthcare website uh, more than 5200 nursing personnel were assaulted in the second quarter of 2022 on average two nurses were assaulted every hour which about which is about 57 assaults per day the analysis found that the majority of attackers were patients A National Nurses United survey from early 2022 found that nearly half of nurses reported an increase in workplace violence, which was a 57% increase from September of 2021 and a 119% increase from March of 2021. So that's only the reported ones. That's only the reported stuff. And as we're talking here, I mean, of all the stuff that I've personally been a part of, I can think of one thing that was reported to the police and there's probably Mm -hmm. dozens for every time. Um, And so I think the data is always going to be skewed, but of the reported stuff, there's a staggering increase since COVID. Um, And we've seen a lot of the articles that I've pulled up and the studies that I've seen have basically looked at pre and post pandemic and seen Mm -hmm. the differences and the the rapid rise since um, March of 2020. But, um, you know, the other thing specifically to EMS, those last couple of data sets were against, were um, violence against nurses. Uh, violence against EMS has also been on the rise. Um, there's roughly one uh, violent death per year against EMS workers. And again, like we're saying, dozens of those um, uh, violent assaults that don't, re- you know, re- uh, result in death are also not being reported. Um, trying to find the most recent article here. Um, Here we go. Um, 
2002 article, so just kind of give you some historical perspective, found that there was on average a fatal assault every year against EMS professionals in the U.S. alone. More recent research shows that there are on average over 400 serious, vi serious violence-related injuries among EMS personnel uh, every year in the U.S. Um, this is from a EMS One article, which was written by Brian McGuire. Again, this is pre-pandemic, um, and he's got some best practices on violence in the workplace. But I just find it extremely interesting that um, it's not really easy to see this data. Um, mm -hmm. So much of it is is goes unreported, um, and I think a lot of it goes unreported because we have normalized. Uh, that violence in the workplace, and it, it hits on a lot of different areas, but pretty crazy. Yeah, and is there a reporting system for it? Like right. we might report it to our employer, who who then is there like a national database for <clears throat> violence in EMS? I don't know that, but there should be. It'd be an interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Holly, just just for where we work, just last week we had our one of our crews had a knife pulled on them, and. Um, they were able to get out of the room and all that stuff, but I mean, we didn't report it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it's just normal, and the crew wasn't even really phased by it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, which is sad. Yeah, and we also work in a a city right now that's just in crisis, mm -hmm. and it used to be where you would go on all of these calls with police. Like any code one in stage, anything that was a possible um, drug overdose, anything like that, we never go on calls with police anymore, it seems like. No, um, no, it's... And so you used to have this like level of security with you, so you, you could kind of face the fact that, well, you know, if something bad goes down, I've got police here, but now we're just expected to go on these calls on our own with no training or backup mm -hmm. and... You know that that also makes it more of a traumatic experience for everybody because we do just kind of handle it. Yeah, um, I've got a call to review. You guys can throw some questions my way, but um, it's very similar to what what Dan just shared. Um, it was actually not an EMS call. We were tapped out for a uh, small fire at a basically off of one of the overpasses in town, mm -hmm. and so. Um, that particular area, there's this thin stretch of grass, kind of this like very small field just off of this embankment that goes up to the overpass. And um, we knew of a uh, transient couple that had been had like set up camp there. And so um, we'd had to, we, you know, we kind of normalized our interactions with them, which were never very pleasant. They didn't like seeing us and they never were the ones that called. It was always someone driving by, saw them burning something, saw them lighting something on fire. Um, and so we, as an engine crew, would go out there, put the fires out, and then, um, you know, remind them about the burning regulations and everything else. And they had been unpleasant, but never violent. And um, this most recent call we had, uh, we get headed that way, we can see a column of smoke from about a quarter mile away. So we're like, ah, gosh darn it. They're really burning something now, you know, some trash or whatever. And <clears throat> the, the boyfriend of this uh, gal was actively throwing more stuff on this fire when we showed up. So we stretch a line, put this thing out, and they're, they're pretty upset. They're very upset with us. So 
uh, we remind about the burning regulations and um, they're cussing at us and we're keeping our distance, but uh, we end up picking up our, our equipment, uh, restoring our rig and, and going home. So we get back to our station, which is only a half mile away from this uh, location. And about less than 30 minutes later, another smoke column scene from the same spot. So we get headed out there. And as a lieutenant, I should have had, you know, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Should have brought, because of what we knew we were going to, should have had uh, PD dispatched right to it because um, we were going back to the same exact thing. And we'd already given them a warning. And so we get there, same people start talking. And I'm, I'm noticing that um, as we're, again, we're up on this elevated roadway. So we're about 15 feet above where this field kind of starts. And so I'm looking down at their thing, and I, I make eye contact with this gal. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to make up a name. But Susie, what, what the heck? We just got... We just got back from this and you guys are doing it again. And she's really, really upset. Like she has that thousand yard stare. She's cussing at me. Her boyfriend goes back into the tent and has a bat um, that he's kind of just keeping by his side. And so I'm like, okay, now we're, you know, we're dealing with something a little bit different and we should have stopped there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we thought from our vantage point, getting down to this location where the fire was, they were a little bit ways away. They were using it as like this, warming area spot we uh make our way down there have a line um established and then we're about to put this thing out again and this guy starts threatening us as we're uh putting it out and so call for pd at that point and um i'm trying to talk to the woman and talk her down who's now um walking towards us and is very upset um and dispatch is trying to talk to me. Hey, do you want cops? Code one, code three. You know, lights and sirens or no lights and sirens. And I can't get to my radio quick enough to say code three. And I'm fumbling, trying to backtrack from giving myself space from this lady who's now walking with a quick pace towards us. And um, finally shout at her to stop. And she stops for just long enough to pull out a knife. And then is waving it at us and cussing at us and everything else. So can finally tell dispatch at that point, code three. Um, and, you know, our our, our police force is, is we, we have a, about three different agencies in town for various reasons. We have county, we have city, and then we have state. And uh, so we're technically off of a, a highway, right? So that would be state. But then we're in city limits. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of just got everybody, which was great because we needed the first (laughs) first person who could show up. And I remember um, we showed up, uh, the first first police officer that showed up was um, the smallest police officer you've ever seen. And it's like, (laughs) oh no, because, you know, they're outnumbered um, and they're small and they're they're not going to be able to, to fight these two and so my crew and i are basically realizing we're about to get there, there's going to be a scuffle here because mm-hmm. this lady's um it was a female cop that showed up and she engages with the the gal with the knife and gets the lady to throw the knife um to the side and she's wrestling with her trying to put her in handcuffs 
after she throws the knife away. And then the boyfriend is getting really wigged out that his girlfriend's getting arrested. And so he starts moving towards the cop and we're trying to intervene, getting in between him. And luckily he doesn't have his bat. He left the bat where he was sitting. And right, thank God, but like right as we're about to really get into it, this other cop had shown up and no joke, like spears this guy, like tackles him to the ground <laughs> while we're, you know, engaging with him verbally. Um, and it was this whole event, right? And we get back to our station and I'm a little shaken. I had a, you know, uh, a definitely an adrenaline dump for sure. And I'm a little jittery. And uh, like, there was this moment where I'm kind of gathering myself and I'm, I've got my crew in our office and we're, we're doing our, just our normal paperwork. And I turn around and I look at them. I'm like, that was really messed up. And they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, that was really messed up. And so we kind of, you know, broke it down and hot washed it and chit chatted about it. But, um, it was a mess. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it ever went, you know, obviously police were involved, so they did their thing with it. Um, we filled out a police report because the police were there and they asked about everything that had happened. And luckily, a lot of it was on body cam because this gal was wearing yeah. a knife. Um, but like following up with those police officers, nothing was done about that. Like they reported it, they got arrested, they eventually got out of jail mm -hmm. and because they don't have space in a lot of these jails, so they can't mm -hmm. hold them. And then, you know, this couple being transient, they're often, you know, yeah. wherever they are now, but. It's so Steve, I've got a question for you. Yeah. And this, this comes from personal experience where uh, I go into a call with emotion, right? Where I'm already pissed. Sure. And I'm not de-escalating. I'm escalating the, the whole scene. Yep. And Because I, I can see myself right where you are coming there with an attitude, all pissed off. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes I think we can, we can make a... Uh, a scene better or we can make a scene worse just by the way we present ourselves. Absolutely. Because I know I multiple times mm -hmm. just not the nicest guy. Sure. And, and it's very fair to say our initial interactions with the patient, the second time, not the patient, just the, the couple, the second time we were there was everybody was aggravated and we could see yeah. they didn't want us there. They were doing this specifically because we told them not to, and they wanted to do whatever they were doing anyways right. and you know at that point again hindsight being 2020 man we in, in the thing that we also get kind of lulled into is you go on the same people the same address over and over again yeah. and you just you've never had that kind of experience there so you don't think it's going to happen again mm -hmm. and then nope your guards down all of a sudden something changes and they decided yep this is the time that i'm going yeah. to bring out that weapon kind of a thing um, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. Uh, and we've totally normalized it. And I keep saying that, but we have, it's just, we have, 100%. Well, you, you guys are going back and just charting and suddenly you're like, that was kind of messed up. Yeah. You know, that was like, intense. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, right. Yeah. It was, yeah. you know, you it took someone that? to yeah, say it out loud. Yeah. To, yeah. You know. mm -hmm. And we don't live in a world in our jobs where you like, you, you might not necessarily have the time to like actually even talk about it or yeah. process it. Right. right. Like, had you gotten back and then gotten another call, mm -hmm. right, relatively quickly, yeah, you would have just been like, all right, let's go do our on job. To the next right. one. On to the next call. Or even in a hospital setting, have the privacy to, right. to actually take a minute 
to do yeah. what you need to do. For you know, sure. And yeah. the same thing in the ER. Like, we have these crazy interactions like that. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, you have to pop into another room because you have a patient that's critically ill or you right. have a patient that's you have to give a bad diagnosis to, you know. And it's like yeah. you're bouncing around and you so often are just redlining for, like, your entire shift, right? And then at the end of your shift, there's this letdown. And you're like, oh, my God, that was... And often we just never process it. No, then you get in your car and you drive home to your family or whatever it is, your home or, your, you know, whatever. And And it's kind of a lot of emotional baggage. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. Yeah, And it's, you know, like, that's super scary. Yeah, it was. Like, somebody just, like, brandished a knife in your face or, like, I'm sure, you know, guns or all Mm -hmm. these things are... I mean, that's like a really traumatic yeah. event. Yeah. And thankfully, it went relatively well. Right. Right. Yeah. The end result was about as good as we could have hoped for, yeah. given the, the circumstances. But you said it best. You, you brought up, what was your example? If what was going on with any of the stuff we'd brought up before recording yeah. was happening at like Yeah. I was like, what if you like went to, you walked into work at Intel <laughs> yeah. or Nike and like this, cra- you know, like it would, <laughs> right. be, it would be on the news. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right? It would make like literally the news. And yeah. for us, it's just like a normal day yeah you know yeah. like anecdotally this stuff happens in the er like every shift mm-hmm. All the and time. the only ones i ever really hear like people muttering about or talking about are like you know we've had nurses and security guards like get broken jaws like get brain bleeds get things like that from, from being assaulted <laughs> those you are know? the ones we talk about we don't yeah. talk about like the microaggressions right. every single day that happens that and, build up all yeah. the time and there's a lot of it and it's it takes its toll yeah and to your, your point, when you, we first started this, it's challenging because so many of these people are have so much trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And like you were right. saying earlier, the, the health care setting is often really triggering it is. for people. And if you think about just going back to school, mm-hmm. the hierarchy of needs, you know, Maslow's little triangle, mm-hmm. food, shelter, um, warmth, mm-hmm. um, relationships, like the things on the bottom of the triangle, when you take those things away from people – that breeds violence. Yeah. And a lot of people that we interact with um, have those things disrupted. And not that it's acceptable, but it's just like when you're walking into someone's, you're about to put out their warming fire or their cooking yeah. fire, that's their basic need that you're mm-hmm. taking away. Yeah. And walking into that knowing it's going to piss them off, mm-hmm. um, rightly so. Yeah. Um, it's just the heightened awareness all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, we've, we've wafted as a city back and forth between what we allow and what we don't allow. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't made it any better no. because we're, um, we're changing the rules all the time. And so as someone who's experiencing homelessness, they're saying, well, last week I could do this. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I understand, man, but it changed and we've got to, you know, follow the rules. And, um, I would say that event changed the way that I approach those calls I take a much more like I, I go out and interact with them before I do any sort of fire suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more, hey, I'm Steve I'm with the fire department just making sure this is, you know, a safe event and that, you know, this is a warming fire and it's not trash that you're burning and, you know, um, all these other things. And try to be more friendly and upfront versus, nope, we're here to enforce a mm-hmm. rule. Um, or a law, um, and I would say that's helped. Uh, I definitely have more positive interactions with that approach, but at the same time, it's also like I'm going to have something with me that you know 
could use as protection if needed. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there was a situation recently in Seattle where it, I think they had like a, a police officer, social worker team going in to check on someone in their tent and they just pulled out a gun and shot the officer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like with no like a real interaction yet. Mm-hmm. They just felt that that was threatening. And so you never know what you're going to walk in on Yeah. in any situation, whether it's yeah. a tent, a house, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, or you at the ER, you never know what's going to walk through the doors. You No, you don't. I mean, thankfully we, you know, where I work now, especially we have a pretty well-equipped staff. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we can get a lot of extra hands on board. Whereas I think in the field, you're in a, new environment that you don't know well mm-hmm. really don't know what you're getting into and you might like for you be waiting for backup mm-hmm. you know when i was working in more of a critical access hospital it's like that sometimes you know middle of the night it's me and two nurses yeah so if you Jeez. have somebody come in who's being violent we would rely on the pd to come we would call the pd and they would were pretty quick but some you know five minutes or ten minutes when somebody's escalating feels like forever. Oh, it does. You know, and you know, and most people who are houseless on the streets have some form of protection, right? You know, rightfully so. It's a mm-hmm. hard world that they live in. So most people have a knife or a gun or something to protect themselves, right. which makes perfect sense. But it's scary. I mean it's like you know, yeah. it's a scary the um other report that I was looking at, just kind of doing a little bit of web surfing for some stuff with uh this topic was uh back in i think it was actually september um there's an on-duty emt at fdny that was stabbed to death in queens uh while she was on break um 25 year veteran allison russo elling was working at her ems station when she went to get food suspect stabbed her numerous times before fleeing the scene and barricading himself in his nearby residence um the FDNY Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh uh, called the incident barbaric and completely unprovoked. Um, to be attacked and killed in the course of helping others is both heartbreaking and enraging for our department in ways I cannot describe. She served the city for 25 years, was a World Trade Center first responder. She was cited multiple times for her bravery and her life-saving work, and she was absolutely beloved on this job. Um, and she was noted as the 1,158th member of the FDNY to die in the line of duty. But Jeez. I mean, this stuff is happening and it there's there's articles if you search for them, but they certainly aren't provoking enough to make headline news a lot mm-hmm. of times yeah. um, because and I think, again, going back to it, part of it's because we've just become so used to it, we're like complacent and normalized to this kind of treatment and behavior. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are, like you were saying, are triggered, you know to play devil's advocate a little bit. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are triggered and a lot of people have had really bad interactions with yeah. figures that they see as authority, right? Whether it's PD or EMS or, or healthcare professionals, right? Mm-hmm. In the ED, they feel like they haven't been treated well. They haven't been listened to. Maybe things have happened where they feel like they were the subjects of like some sort of trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Physical Absolutely. trauma, yeah. emotional trauma. And so I think it's just this heightened like it's this heightened environment on both sides that hopefully you can de-escalate, but yeah. sometimes you can't. Yeah. But I, I think it's important order- to like recognize both sides of it. Right. Right. I mean, when someone comes into Absolutely. the ER, you make them undress. Mm-hmm. They do not have access to food, water. They have their phones now, but we used to take away their phone. Um, like you can't use your phone in here. 
Um, they don't have a TV sometimes or anything to distract them. And so they're basically sitting there with no like personal rights. I think they feel yeah. that way. Feel mm-hmm. very, very vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you're coming in and doing all these things to them. Um, but in the flip side, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Right. So yeah, no, where I, do you, right. it's where tough. Do you draw yeah. That it's tough. Yeah. I think if you go into but, it with that lens and try to say, Hey, this is, this is a challenging time for this person. This is if, you know, for me, if they're in the ER, probably the worst day they're right. having. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I try to approach it in that lens so that it doesn't get to that place. And it mm-hmm. sometimes does anyway, no matter yeah. what. And it's not like to say that, uh, it, not to, excuse those behaviors or those actions obviously it's not appropriate but but it's i think sometimes just i don't know i try to put myself in uh, some of these people's shoes sometimes and i think it'd be really really hard yeah it seems like it's escalating though and i feel like when you're at the airport you mind your business you don't get violent (laughs) you don't yell at people like you're minding your manners because they'll just kick you out Mm -hmm. you're gonna miss your flight we have zero tolerance you pick a fight with somebody or start yelling or getting escalated, you're out of here. Like, yeah. bye. Mm-hmm. That's like, I mean, maybe a courthouse would be that way too, but there's just yeah. very few places where people are provoked. Um, or I guess what I'm trying to say is there's very few places now where people like feel like they have to mind their manners. Yeah. Like they can just do whatever they want and say what they want. And because mm-hmm. I have the right yeah. to be a jerk or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And there's just the hospital, I feel like used to be that way where there was like this, sort of a respect for for what's going on here mm-hmm. there's sick people let's mind our manners let's be kind and that is not the case anymore no yeah, we tolerate a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of verbal and physical abuse in the yeah. hospital yeah. and in ems mm-hmm. yeah um dan what were you gonna say you had something like uh i was just uh going off a good doctor there um before I was hired in this last position. I had no idea what trauma-informed care was, and I know this mm-hmm. is a whole separate podcast. But, I mean, sometimes we can, like I said earlier, we can make or break the call. We can make the the patient escalated or we can de-escalate just by how we present ourselves. Four big guys and turnouts coming in and hovering over this little person who's already had domestic violence and and the way we present ourselves is going to make or break their day. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, the other part I is though, like the, and this is why it's so difficult to have this conversation in general is because there's so many sides to it. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. And yet we can't also shame ourselves for showing up and having a mildly bad attitude that someone decided no. to you know, pull out a weapon on us that day. Um, right. Because, you know, at that point we're a victim um, of their, violent behavior, aggressive behavior. Um, and we didn't, while we didn't cause it or choose it, we, you know, like you're saying, we didn't make it better, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in hindsight, because we showed up with an attitude, we showed up with preconceived notions, um, history with the patient, the address, whatever. Um, again, it's just, it's hard to, I feel like we have to bring up, and I'm glad you guys are, we have to bring up all these different aspects to it because it's not, a one-sided conversation by any means. Nope. Um, Holly, I know kind of moving, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about self-harm that we can, as EMS providers, um, physicians, nurses, uh, we can witness 
a lot of violence too. Um, mm -hmm. I've got, you know, in the Rolodex, a handful of things I've seen patients do to themselves and to, and to others. Others, yeah. Um, but I felt like you had a good example of that, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Sure. Um, we had a call of a suicide attempt. It was um, a medication overdose, but it was down kind of like a nature trail. Mm -hmm. So it was about a mile down in the trail. Police were on scene first. Um, they woke this person up and he had made it clear that he was um, trying to commit suicide mm -hmm. and he took a bunch of pills. And as protocol then, I don't know if it's the same um, these days, but um, it was to sort of search the person, make sure they don't have any weapons. And at that point, he got pretty physical with the police, mm -hmm. um, wanting to, um, obviously, he didn't want to be taken to the hospital right. so, or put on a hold. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, all of his stuff was like on the ground. You could see that they'd gone through it. He was just wearing shorts and it, no t-shirt. It was a hot day. And so we put him in the back of the ambulance and this is kind of before we were really, or I personally was trained to like talk to people about their attempts. Like, it's okay to ask, did you want to die? It's mm -hmm. okay to ask, mm -hmm. you know, what was your plan? It's okay yeah. to ask things and talk to them about it. But I was a little uncomfortable. And sure. so I, I kind of minimally talked to this person and he also was, um, kind of pretending like he was asleep on the gurney anyway. So it's like a four mile transport to the hospital, very yeah. short. And so on the way I took his vitals and, um, was kind of, if you picture an ambulance, you've got the gurney and then there's an airway seat that's like behind the person if mm -hmm. they're sitting up. So I was on the radio giving report. And while I was giving report, I noticed that he was like kind of moving around and doing something. And I look over and he has a knife. And first of all, I was thinking, where did he get that? Because yeah. he's been searched. He's only wearing shorts. Who knows? I think it was like in the back of his shorts mm -hmm. because he mm -hmm. was kind of reaching back, you know, while I was giving report. And he has a knife to his throat. And I was like, of course. And the heat of the moment, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. you, you can't yeah. do that. Of course, he's going to be like, oh, sorry, ma'am. Mm -hmm. um, so he slits his throat right in, in front rig. of me Yeah, wow. in the ambulance. But um, wow. And it's kind of a smaller knife. And so I tell my partner, I'm like, go code three to the hospital. So we get into the ambulance bay. And he's not like unconscious or anything. He's ready for a fight. Yeah. Because he wants to finish the job. Right. And, you know, you always think like, well, I would just like leave the scene and keep myself safe. But instead, I tried to wrestle the knife away from him, which was oh. in hindsight, of course, <laughs> stupid. But in my mind, I was like, well, I can't, you know, I can't let him finish right. this job. And um, and he was small. Too, so I thought I could take him right, and of course I was like 110 pounds at the time. So, um, I tell my partner, I'm like, call security, and we're sitting in the ambulance bay. No one comes, wow. and we're oh like, goodness. the ambulance is rocking back and forth, like we're in, in kind of the throes of something. And I don't, I'm not you are an MMA person. Me out right now. <laughs> I know. I am so wigged out. Keep going. I know. Holy and cow. so I'm like, call them and tell them what's happening. You know, of course, my partner doesn't want to. Like, I think she's not knowing what to do. Should I go back there and help? Yeah. Should I stay neutral and be like, yeah. you know, the medical person? Anyway, so finally, 
it like five minutes had gone by. Like I'm sweating yeah. at this point and really just trying to, cause I feel like if I let go, like he, he's going to jump on me and that's it for me. Yeah. Um, so anyway, finally, wow. finally a nurse comes out who to this day, I'm like, you saved my life, but he like <laughs> flings open the doors and like in slow motion jumps on top of this person. It took seven people to yeah. hold this guy down. I don't know what he had taken, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was, um, he was strong. Yeah. So yeah. we roll him into the ER and, um, of course he gets paralyzed and intubated. Mm-hmm. And of course I had to do the transfer to of the course. trauma center because <laughs> I'm already there. Right. Right. Um, oh, this was not, not a trauma hospital. So then you no. have a trauma activated. Yeah, it was not yeah, a trauma yeah. hospital. Um, but, he did do some damage because it was sure like squirting. Did. I'm I'm surprised yeah. it lasted this long, but yeah. Wow. Um, anyway, long story short, um, we get him up to the hospital and um, they save his life. And uh, anyway, I was thinking after that, like I'm sitting there thinking, those cops screwed up. You know, of course, it's not their fault, but it's mm-hmm. kind of their fault. They're the ones mm-hmm. who searched him. And so I have yeah. this false sense of security that yeah. right. I'm safe. You know, he tried to overdose with pills. Yeah. He's probably not violent. Mm-hmm. You know, these things. And um, turns out that was not the case. So I, I totally let my guard down, even though he had been violent earlier. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, behaving for me in the back of the ambulance. But um it, it is traumatic, though, to see not only someone do harm to themselves in the moment. I feel like as EMS providers or, you know, working in the emergency room, we're so used to seeing stuff after it's happened. And that's totally fine mm-hmm, for right. whatever reason. Yep. But seeing the car crash or seeing the violence happen, it's mm-hmm. a totally different yep. scenario. Yeah. Like suddenly you're, yeah. you don't yeah. know what to do. Right. Um, so anyway. Similar um, but, but different. I watched a guy at a restaurant start having a stroke. And you did. It was very obvious what was happening. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, "What do like, I do? Holy cow! <laughs> something should be done here." And you know, and it's, it's like it was. It just caught me so off guard because I didn't have that five minutes of mental prep time. Yeah. Right. You know, before yeah. walking yeah. in and seeing him with his face half drooping. Right. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. But you are. What was that, Dan? You are five star, sir. You are five star. Five Thank star? you for bringing that one up. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> and for some reason, you're like, in normal clothes, I cannot function as a yeah. healthcare provider. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just here eating. I don't have the weight of those stars on my shoulders. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, the, while you were talking, I can't, I can't believe I forgot this, but I, I've been saying this this whole morning as we've been chatting before the recording, that each time someone brings up, a, one of you guys brings up a story, it reminds me of something else. And arguably the, the craziest one I have, which actually is a good example of what can happen post-incident, um, and I'll give you the highlights, but we were coming back from a medical call in a neighboring uh, town that is part of our ambulance service area, and we were not quite back to our station, and a call came in for a fire alarm in our first due. So we attached ourselves to the call, and we were going to get there first anyways, and we let this other engine from the next station start heading our way. We were going to try and cancel them as quickly as we could. We pull in, and we're hearing this fire alarm kind of, it was like a smoke detector going off, and we couldn't figure out where it was, but it was odd that we could hear it in the parking lot. I'm like, oh, that's strange, and it's kind of echoing, you know? So about the time 
we realize, oh, this is a smoke detector in a trash, like in one of the, um, <laughs> oh, the dumpsters, mm-hmm. big construction dumpster, and it was thrown in there and it was going off. And so we're like, oh, that's why. And so we're kind of- They kinda, have smoke detectors inside them? No. It was no, when they got it was rid just, of them. It was debris <laughs> oh, that oh, had oh, been oh. thrown in there, yeah. I see. Yeah. Like, that's what? funny. <laughs> that was so adorable, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> so- uh, we're kind of having this ha ha moment, cancel the engine. And, um, about this time, about two minutes later, we're, um, getting stuff back. This woman, uh, is sprinting for her life around the corner of this apartment complex. She's barefoot and she's screaming for someone to help her. And I mean, it, it's, it's like something out of a movie. Like you can't, I, I, I don't know how to paint the picture other than this woman who looks like she's seen death in the face is like running as fast as she can and right as she kind of makes it um into this apartment complex there's a car peeling into the parking lot and this woman is now beating down the door of this apartment like screaming for this person to let him in and now we're watching this guy pull in get out of his car and start running towards her and i'm like immediately calling for police and um, my crew and I, there was four of us, we start running up to this guy like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 what are you you doing? And meanwhile, this lady is still screaming her head off trying to get in. And so we started, I would say, 60 yards away from where this guy parked and we start moving towards him. She gets in, someone opens the door, quickly shuts it and locks it. And now this guy turns around towards us and sees that we're walking towards him and we're like, you know, shouting at him to stop and just, you know, not move. And, uh, and the whole time I'm going like, what is happening right now? Like, this is so unexpected. Um, and it's kind of happening in slow motion. Well, this guy is obviously not listening to us, right? Gets back in his car and starts trying to hit us with his vehicle in the parking lot. So we're ducking in between parked cars behind trees and I'm on the radio trying to relay to dispatch like we're this dude's trying to hit with his car yeah and um he eventually he he like gave each one of us a a turn trying to hit us and then makes his way out of the parking lot and peels off um around that time the fire engine that I had canceled shows up with more people and then about 5,000 cop cars and everyone else um our battalion chief and a bunch of other people show up and I'm trying to relay to the police, this is the vehicle, this is what the guy looks like. And they went and uh, found him and um, arrested him. So then we go back to the apartment, tell them this is the girl that we saw running and blah, blah. And she gives her statement. So this guy gets arrested and I'm, you know, obviously we're all shaken up a bit, right? Like this dude just tried to hit us with his car. Yeah. And we get to, um, we get back to the station and I'm arguing with my crew that we need to file, like we, we there was there was the option of pressing charges, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to do it, and I'm like, guys, like, this is a bad guy, like this is a bad dude, yeah. mm-hmm. who knows right. what he would have done to that girl, and she we... probably won't press charges, right, and and I'm, I'm just so like, guys, what do you? Well, there's paperwork and there's this, no, and I just want to go question. home. I don't want to deal with this crap. This is bogus. This is just kind of our job, is what I kept hearing. So, I push it further, and I'm like, "Hey, 
we got to do this. And uh, they finally are like, you know, begrudgingly like, fine, whatever. So press charges, fill out all the paperwork with the police officer that meets us back at our station, go through that whole process. And I almost wish we had a cop to kind of walk us through yeah. what that looks like on their end, you know. Um, but uh, court date gets set and we had to give a statement. Um, and since it was COVID, there was no, you know, we weren't going to go in person to court. Um, and they didn't do a virtual thing. This guy just showed up and pled out. Um, but he got a fine. And that was about it. And basically, he was ordered not to have any contact with myself or my crew or the, the woman that was involved. Oh, my gosh. Which is kind of crazy because that's like essentially assault with a deadly weapon, right? He's like, yeah. literally yeah. Like, like trying to hit us. To yeah. Hit yeah. You. Like I'm just, I'm murder. stunned. Like there yeah. was no, and, and I'm sure this frustrates police officers to the nth degree oh, as sure, well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but like this dude, there's very little recourse. I'm sure he has a mark on his record now, but mm-hmm. there's very little recourse to, I mean, he's not in jail. He's mm-hmm. living his life, yeah. whatever he does, but. Running people over. Yeah. It's craziness. I can't believe you forgot that story, Steve. I know, and I keep, you guys keep talking. I'm like, oh my God, that happened too. Oh my God, I can't I remember. Oh I, God, you know, I filed these things away. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely insane. Just file them away now. You this know, is another like your therapist. <laughs> yeah. right, no, this session. is my this is it. catharsis here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Another, um, speaking of like witnessing violences, um, even someone um, assaulting someone else or yelling at someone else, or like you said, smoking fentanyl in the bathroom or doing drugs in front of you. Um, a lot of times, if, especially if you have a history of maybe some drug use or um, maybe you're in recovery, that could be another reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another form of violence against you too, or mm-hmm. witnessing violence or things like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it comes in so many forms. Oh, and yeah. it's so challenging. I mean, we've, I could, there are countless patients I can think of that like really needed to be in the hospital, mm-hmm. like should not be leaving that, you know, went to the bathroom and smoked some drugs or shot some drugs. And it's like a very strict policy in the hospital. Like you can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, that ends up usually the people, they'll usually leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Or. Well, and I'm sure that creates a whole. And I mean, it's really hinders their care. Yeah. I mean, like there are, I can think of a couple examples where I'm like, oh my gosh, like this person should not be leaving right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And be, and they're choosing to leave because of that right right or because they had a negative interaction and you called them out for you know shooting drugs in their IV which they shouldn't be doing <laughs> of course yeah. but it, there seems like yeah it's like gosh I wish there was a better solution <laughs> yeah. for this right yeah. yeah it's it's a challenge I think maybe we're also kind of unveiling why we've normalized it because we're so aware that very little is going to be done mm-hmm. and um I don't know what needs to change for that to happen. Cause I know like you were saying Holly, that they have uh, at some of the hospitals you've worked at sheets of paper in the bathroom that outline what violence against healthcare workers looks right. like Even in every single patient room and yeah. in the waiting rooms and mm-hmm. you know, this is a felony to assault a yeah. healthcare provider. Um, you know, and then there's like the Moab trainings and de-escalation trainings and then, there's reporting systems, but like very little is actually mm-hmm. being done yeah. about it. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, like m- almost all of us that went into healthcare, I think I could probably safely say all of us that went into healthcare, whatever form that is, went into healthcare because we're trying to help people. Mm-hmm. And like that's our ultimate goal. Like none of us went into this profession 
thinking, oh, this is going to be a profession where there's like, I need to learn how to not be assaulted verbally and physically. <laughs> and it's right. just like not the personality type typically. That exactly. Goes in yes. Mm-hmm. To these fields, right? Mm-hmm. We're like helping people that like to help and caring people. And those are also the people that are willing to sort of take abuses, take right? Mm-hmm. Because they, they're trying to do their best job to help people. And I think that that's been lumped into this, this job a little bit of like, hey, this is part of the job. This is part of our personality. Like we're here. Yes, these things sometimes happen and it's not okay, but it's like become normalized. Yeah. Now, now they're happening not right. just sometimes. Yeah. They're, right. they're just happening all the time. Right. Yeah. And we're all sort of personality. A lot of us are personality types that I think would rather deal with it and still try to help rather than like, you know, thwart Leave it altogether. in some way. Yeah. There's a lot of people leaving the healthcare field. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I do feel like that we will be in a crisis here in the next few years. People are going to stop being nurses. They're going to stop being police officers. They're going to probably stop being firefighters. Yeah. Like public servants mm-hmm. of all sorts. Yeah. Um, it's it's not worth it to a lot of people. Yeah. So there's been a lot of different uh, points to that conversation where, you know, some people want to say, oh, it's it's all because of COVID or it's all because of you know, this singular thing. And it's actually like, it's all of them. Right. You know, it's all of them. Um, my, my buddy was talking about an article um, that we, that he pulled up and showed me about basically Gen Z or is that, that's the latest generation we got, right? Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, that this generation is one of the smallest population groups. And so we're, we're trying to pull um, the same amount of people and more in a declining population. And so it's also like the fire department, uh, the fire service is seeing it heavily, especially in, in our state. Yeah. Um, we're all vying for the same people and we're trying to entice them to our departments. Um, and we're all, we're, uh, there's, there's only, there's a, there's a limit to this workforce. Yeah. We're all going after the same group and it's, it's just frustrating on so many levels. Yeah. I mean, it's interestingly, like I have a, I'm relatively new in my career, right? But I have a lot of colleagues and friends who've been ER docs for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so many people in these fields get, you know, therapists and counselors and have, which is totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. We probably all should. Because like what we're talking about, this stuff is super traumatic. But one of my buddies was recently telling me his, this counselor that specializes in fields of trauma. So you know, ER doctors, nurses, EMS, mm-hmm. uh, police officers, these fields. This is guy, this guy's done for 30 years. Like, mm-hmm. these are his clients. And essentially, from what you know, I'm paraphrasing here, the only way to sort of combat a lot of our work-related trauma is typically to work less. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To, That's what they always mm-hmm. say. And this, this guy has said, I've told my clients this for 30 years like yeah you know you're an ER doc work you know one shift less a month two shifts less less a month like that's really the only it's really the one of the main things you can do right in your control right (laughs) just limiting your exposure yeah limiting your exposure and interestingly you know this guy was and my buddy's like oh how often do people do that he's like I've never had a client actually do it (laughs) in 30 years (laughs) right like so there's something in our nature there's something about like people that take these jobs that like kind of just continue Mm -hmm. right which is interesting Yes. Yeah. You know, the advice is always work a couple shifts less, you know. Yeah. And he's like, oh, how many people do that? He's like, I've never had somebody no. actually do it. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, your comment on the, the therapist ma- reminded me 
uh, and I've shared my story on a previous episode going through PTSD and everything, but one of the first counselors I went to within, you know, 20 minutes, this guy's crying, listening to my story. (laughs) And he's telling me, you know, have you thought about doing something else? Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, you know, I, I just don't think this is going to be worth my time because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to to learn how to limit my exposure to this job because I love it so much. Um, So how do I get back to an operational level where I'm healthy and and healing on my journey, but can still still go do my job? (laughs) And there's very few, what we would call culturally competent providers out there that are able to work with people with that kind of a mindset because the easy smart thing to do is limit yourself to mm-hmm. that. Why would you go back to that? And um, It's hard because our personalities probably are all mostly type A, I would say, mm-hmm. and very performance-based personalities. Mm-hmm. And think about medical school. It's all very performance-based, nursing school, paramedic school. Um, even on the job, it's very performance-based. And in order to do that, we want to be the best and and work the most and be the most reliable and yeah. be the best at our jobs. And why would we take a day off? Right. right. And <laughs> Even be, though it makes so much sense. Yeah. And it becomes but a part of your identity. It kind of right? does. Yeah. A lot, a lot more than a lot of, a lot of other jobs. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, it's no, to I'm not going to work overtime when you know you're leaving your crew behind with mm-hmm. one, one less doctor or one less medic. Um, so before we close this chat, I wanted to get into just some recommendations that are out there in EMS land and, healthcare provider land, um, on what to do, how to prepare yourself for, kind of, cause this stuff is going to come up. So it's, how do you prepare for that? Um, and so obviously, you know, like we always preach on every episode, follow your local protocols, um, for this kind of thing. Sometimes I would say more progressive agencies have policies and procedures on how to handle this stuff. And they actually provide training on self-defense and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, Dan, you always talk about spidey senses and how mm-hmm. when you have even an inkling of a feeling that this isn't a place you should be in, call for backup, remove yourself from the environment, and just yep, bring more people to the incident to make it as safe as possible. Um, obviously, training on de-escalation techniques is huge. We use the term verbal judo, um, which is five steps, which see if I can remember them. Request compliance, explain why you need compliance, outline the patient's um, options, confirm their choice, and then take action. And that five steps is like an entire day's worth of training, but, um, and it's all subjective on how Mm -hmm. they're presenting, what they're responding with, um, their demeanor, their behavior, their language, their mood. Um, Can I pause you for just a second? Because I think that's really important because we get on scene and we've been called and we're going to go in and do something. We're going to take your shirt off and do an EKG and do your blood pressure instead of just simply saying, this is who we are. Is it okay if we do A, B, and C? Yeah. just takes a second, but that Mm -hmm. definitely is a really good point. And I think back on my career of rarely asking people that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're talking to them, but you're not just getting their consent to, to actually come in and start physically touching them. Yeah. And verbalizing what you believe they want you to do is huge too. Cause that can also clear up any 
you True. know, misconceptions or inconsistencies in yeah. what they're actually saying. Um, and I think just painting a picture that they can understand of what is it exactly that's going to be happening. Right. In the, you know, like this and is sometimes what, you're simultaneously doing right, it because yeah. they're really sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of going, you know, along with those spidey senses that Dan preaches is maintaining situational awareness, right? So um, making sure that even though you've been to that address 15 times and you've seen this lady, this guy, this couple, you know, a thousand times before, um, not letting down your guard so much that you forget some of the basics, which is, you know, have your radio on and nearby, have your crew in an, uh, a position to get out if they need to. Um, and remembering to train on this stuff because like everything in our job, it's, it has an expiration date mm-hmm. and it tends to just fade the more we let, the more time we allow between um, courses or classes or refreshers. I mean, the other thing I'll plug too from a more of personal emotional standpoint is it's so helpful having peers and especially like mentors yeah. that have been doing whatever job it is that you do longer than you and have seen more than you and that you can kind of like reflect with and use mm-hmm. as a sounding board. Like that is, and for me, that has been so helpful. Like being with a group of docs that I trust and have a lot of experience and when bad things happen, you can just be like, just sit down and talk to them. And be yeah. like, oh yeah, this, you know, like I went through that, X, Y, or Z. It's just, I find it to be that's huge. so helpful. For and anecdotally, that's helped you. Yeah. But um, research does show that you having a peer, that peer support, it mm-hmm. really is a thing. Like yeah. ac- the storytelling, that's actually therapy that you're going through. Yeah. Even though we do it just naturally. Right. I think that's, um, it's really important to have that. Well, I think so many of our stories that we're like telling now or that we experience every day are not stories that you want to go home and tell at the dinner no, table, right? No, you do not. They're sure. not, you know, it's traumatic to listen to. They're traumatic to tell. They're traumatic to listen to. You know, it, and you, it can feel isolating, yeah. right? If you're at, like most people come home from work and they can talk about their day of work with their partner or a friend or whomever. That's not necessarily the case for us no. all the time. So I think having a person in your life that you can, you know, talk to and and reflect with and learn, you know, you learn from each other too. It yeah. really is like, it's like life-saving, I think. It is, yeah. actually. Absolutely. It is life-saving. That's awesome. I love how so much of this stuff comes back to Brenda, all the stuff we learned from her. Mm-hmm. We got to have her back on. She actually said that having a person you can talk to or knowing you can call at any time actually reduces the risk of suicide. I have yeah. no doubt about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there. Um, that's why I've got we could, Dan on speed dial. That's why we got Dan on speed dial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dan on speed dial, who's not in person today. Yeah. Who will oh, gosh. Give lots of guilt and grief to you. Um, <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for chit-chat about this. I know that some of these things aren't always fun to talk about, but um, appreciate your guys' take. And for those listening, we will catch you on the next one.